I have a message for you today called True Salvation. Stand with me for the reading of the word. Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. Again, true salvation. When you read this passage, you may be wondering, is this, what does this have to do with true salvation? But it's the story of healing, uh, the healing of the blindness of blind Bart. Now they came to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Hey, I want to I say this to you. If, if you don't believe in Jesus, or if you aren't sure that if you would die today that you would go to heaven... If, if you are sitting here today and you do not have the assurance in your heart of salvation, the assurance of salvation that we are promised, okay, in the scriptures, in Romans chapter 8, you have doubts about your salvation, you need to tune into this message because this could be the day of your salvation. Okay? Father in heaven, open up our hearts and minds to your word. And Lord God, I do pray that we would sit at your feet and hear your voice, not mine, Lord. May people tune in to hearing your voice through your word, and may they know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, there is just, there are a lot of passages that talk about true salvation and false salvation. True believers and false believers. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13 called the wheat and the tares. So they grow up side by side. If you look really closely, I mean, unless, unless you're a farmer, you're going to have a hard time distinguishing the difference between the two, right? I mean, they look almost exactly the same. Slight difference in the pigmentation. But Jesus said they grow right alongside of each other. The tares, okay, are essentially false people, false believers, false Christians, and the wheat are true believers, true Christians, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, the Lord said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's quoting, by the way, from Isaiah chapter 29. And people, you know, it's real easy. They give lip service to God. But they don't really know God. They don't have God in their hearts. They don't have that, that love and devotion and that faith in God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. How about that? They were in the church, and they went out, but they were, again, they were false Christians. I mean, the Bible talks about false prophets and false teachers, false apostles. In Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I mean, does anything bother you more than, I mean, you got some TV evangelist, 
right? He just, he, he just talks the talk, and then you find out that behind the scenes, right, he's just fleecing the flock, right? He's running around with women, committing adultery, and you see that, and you say, well, nothing, nothing angers you more than seeing something like that, just total hypocrisy. But again, false believers. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. By the way, you read that and you say, must be talking about Washington, D.C. or Hollywood, right? But if you look closely, it says having a form of godliness these are church people. These are people in the church. They have this like outward, you know, form, right? They're, they look real. I mean, they, you know, it's so, e- it's so easy. There's more hypocrisy in the church than anywhere else. Anywhere. More, more hypocrisy in the churches than you'll find in Hollywood. More hypocrisy in the churches than you'll find in, in Washington. Having a form of godliness. They look, they look really holy, right? You know, you know, just, you know, just, right? But deny its power, and from such people turn away. I'll give you one more verse before I dig into the text, and uh, it's Matthew chapter seven, twenty-one through twenty-three. This is frightening. This should, this should, this should. I mean, the fear of God should well up inside of us when we look at this passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These these are church people. This is not the atheist, pagan, unbeliever, blasphemer. These are church people. This is, these are people doing what I do. They preach prophecy, the preaching of the word of God. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know if there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that makes my knees knock together more than that verse. Because that's exactly what I do. But am I practicing the will of of the Heavenly Father. In, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, I said it would be one more verse. I'm going to give you another verse. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So what I want to encourage you to do is take a look at this story about blind Bartimaeus and... Let the Lord put you to the test today. Test yourself to see if you are truly in the faith. So the first thing I want to share with you <clears throat> is the word darkness. <clears throat> I'm going to share six things with, this, uh, with you from this text, but darkness. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of, of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. He's in darkness. Right, he's blind. In fact, we, we are told 
from the Gospel of Matthew, we was compare the Gospels together, the uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptics, as well as the Gospel of John. Matthew chapter 20, 29 through 30. And as he went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men, there are two, sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. I, I believe the reason that Mark lists Bartimaeus and I'll, I'll give you a real clear picture of this in, in just a, a few moments, is that Barnabas was very well known in the church. See, Barnabas, he received a sight, and then he got saved. So not only physical healing, he got the spiritual healing. And as we'll look at in just a moment, he followed Jesus. I believe he followed Jesus. I believe Bartimaeus is one of those people, because Jesus is leaving Jericho. He goes up, right? It's like 2,000, 2,500 feet up. You know, to the mountains of uh, of Jerusalem. By the way, we've we've traveled I've traveled that many times in uh, by bus. In fact, they have a great triathlon. You run up that hill. <laughs> That's the run. You run all the way up that hill to the top of Mount Zion, and um, it's a marathon. You know, it's, it's 26 miles. It's an incredible, uh, incredible run. But um, he went with him up to Jerusalem, and when Jesus entered in the triumphal entry and people are yelling, Hosanna, I believe Bartimaeus is one of them who's saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe there's a very good chance Bartimaeus was one of the disciples. We know John is the only apostle at the cross, but there were other disciples at the cross. It's very likely Bartimaeus might have been one of them. He may have been in the upper room when Jesus appeared the night of the resurrection. And then I believe he was probably one of the 120 on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. I think that's why he is mentioned, the other guy is not, is that he became well-known in the church. So he, he suffers from blindness. So whenever, whenever you're looking at, at the healings of Jesus, the physical ailment was always a typology of something deeper. So leprosy is a symbol of what? Sin. Right. Leprosy is a, is a symbol of sin. When Jesus was healing the lepers, it was a picture of him. He cleanses us of our sins. So blindness, okay, physical blindness is a picture of spiritual blindness. Deafness was a typology of, of spiritual deafness. So here's a picture of a man. He was spiritually blind as well as physically blind. And weren't we all at one time? I was. I mean, I, man, I was, I was blind to God. I was, I was blind to Jesus. I was a kid. I, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I, I left the Catholic Church when I was sixth grade, confirmed. I didn't look back. I, I slid into, I mean, I slid into atheism, and I did not believe in God. I did not believe in Jesus. And I'm not saying that's the case of, of, of everyone, but I was blind. I was blind. Didn't want to didn't hear about Jesus. Didn't want to hear about, the, I mean, I was in, I'm in the world, man. It was all about me, my goals, my objectives. I had no interest in the Word of God, in Jesus, in church. So he's spiritually blind. And again, spiritual blindness, right? The outward blindness is, again, a typology of spiritual blindness. If you look at Jeremiah 5.21, it tells us, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Obviously, they had physical eyes, they had physical ears, but they, did not, they could not hear the voice of the Spirit in the time of Jeremiah speaking to the people. Jesus in Matthew fifteen fourteen says, If the blind man guides the blind man, both will fall into a pit. 
So who causes blindness? Well, the, the Scripture teaches the devil is the master of blinding people. He doesn't want people to see. He doesn't want people to see Jesus. He doesn't want people to see Jesus and come to salvation and enter into the, the peace. He likes. He likes to keep people in chaos. He likes to keep people in misery. He doesn't want them to enter into the joy of the Lord. So in Second Corinthians four four, in whom the God of this world, the God of this world, he's talking about the devil. You see the world and all the chaos and the wars and the. You know, just famines and sickness. This is the world. It's right now, this world is under the dominion. God is God. The world is this little, this little globe floating through space. It's soon to come under the dominion and the lordship of Jesus. He won the battle on the cross. It's just this period now. It's coming. Coming soon. He's, t- he's coming back to take what's his. So 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. And here's, here's the thing. He blinds. Once a person just believes, the belief in Jesus is like the, the crack in the door. They're in a dark room, and that door just, just opens a crack, and that light, the light of the gospel, comes shining in. But it's that act of faith. And then the illuminating gospel shines in upon them. And then he begins to illuminate their life. And you know what he does in his work in that person's life? He makes them a light. Light is a metaphor for truth. And the person who has let Jesus come into their life, that person becomes a light bearer. Look at, look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. They begin to walk in that light. And then you look at Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. This is, he's saying this to his followers. You are the light of the world. You are to go out there and illuminate the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the miracle of salvation. The person goes from being in darkness to entering into the light. And then they not only enter into the light and walk in the light, but they become light bearers, bringing the the light of the Lord into the lives of other people. We, we bring the truth. And you know what the beauty When you share the light, and that light comes upon other people's lives, the truth, what does the truth always do? It sets them free. Right? John chapter 8. We bring freedom. Right? Freedom from what? Freedom from Satan. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And we become light bearers. So it's a, so it's a transformation. True salvation is a transformation of from being in darkness to enter into the light. The second, doctrine. So Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. That, the sound doctrine is just the, the truth. It's, it's the pure, undiluted word of God. Right? Nothing added, nothing subtracted. And it's just that, that, very, that very truth of the word of God, doctrine, sound doctrine. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, right, there are false doctrines. It says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Notice that there is another Jesus. There is, there is the true Jesus. Well, you where, where? Look at the New Age Jesus. He's not the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Oprah. He's not the, the, the Jesus of the Bible. The Mormon Jesus, do you know who the Mormon Jesus' brother is? Satan. That doesn't say that in the Bible. And the Jehovah Witness Jesus. Jehovah Witness Jesus is, Jesus is the Michael the Archangel. You got the Buddhist Jesus. You know what Jesus did while he was growing up? The Buddhists say that he went up to Tibet, he became a Tibetan master, studying under the Tibetan masters, and he came back to Jerusalem and, and Israel, and he did, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. But you have another, another Jesus. So when I'm talking about doctrine, I'm talking about the true Jesus. And look at Bartimaeus, he believed in the true Jesus. When Jesus is passing by in Mark chapter 10, 47, and it says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he says it again in verse 48, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you understand by calling Jesus the son of David, who was he saying Jesus is? Messiah. He's the Meshach, the Meshach Neged. He, he is the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. Over 400 verses throughout the Tanakh, the Old Testament, from everything from his birth, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his passion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Over 400 prophecies. You've got about 325 and you've got about 75, 80 typologies that point towards Jesus. We do this here on Wednesday night. I've been teaching on this throughout the Old Testament. Over and no, over, evidence, evidence, evidence. It gets you rooted. It gets you rooted. You see these things that were predicted 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, predicting exactly right where he would be born, in Bethlehem, if Ephrathah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, exact, being nailed to a cross, Psalm 22. His hands would be nailed to the cross a thousand years before he walked the earth, 500 years before crucifixion was ever invented. Just was just verse. So he, he is the Messiah, and, and here is blind Bartimaeus saying, Jesus Son of David, Jesus, the Messiah. So he believes he is the Messiah. And then if you look at, at verse 20, uh, 29 through 33, now as he went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting by the road when uh, they heard that Jesus was passing back, cried out saying, have mercy on us, Lord, Lord, Son of David. And then you see it again in verse 31, Lord, Son of David. Verse 33, Lord, Son of David, Claudios. What is that? What is he saying? Or who is he saying Jesus is by calling him the Kyrios? Saying he's God. It's a term, it's a term, Lord, Kyrios. That, that, that is a term for God. He is not only saying you are the Messiah, he is saying you are God. And this is a Jew saying you are God. He believes that he is Elohim, the God who created all things in the beginning. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He believes that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He believes he is the great I Am, Nayaki and Nayaki of Exodus chapter 314, when Moses saw him at the burning bush. He believes that he is Adonai. He believes that he is God. <laughs> Two 
experience true salvation, you must believe in sound doctrine. You must believe that Jesus is Messiah. You must believe that Jesus is God. Look at, look at the Romans 10, 9 passage. It talks here that if you confess, by the way, the word confess, homologos, it's talking about to agree with deep conviction. So this isn't some shallow beliefism, superficial beliefism, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things, right? You must believe that Jesus is God, right? He, he, is, he is God. He is God incarnate. Through the virgin birth, God incarnate. And you must believe that he was raised from the dead. And to believe that he was raised from the dead, you also have to believe something came before that. What was that? That he was crucified, that he died. So you're, you're believing here that Jesus is God. You believe in who he is. And you believe in what he did. That he is God, the Messiah. And you also believe that he hung on that cross for you to take your sins, the penalty of your sins, upon himself. And then he was raised from the dead. You must believe that to be saved. That, that, is, that is sound doctrine. That is true salvation. Do you ever see people say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus? And you ask them, well, what do you believe about Jesus? Man, you get a cockamamie bunch of nonsense from people. You must believe that he is who he said he was, that he is God in the form of man, and that he's the Savior who died for you on the cross and was raised from the dead, that he is Messiah. All right, number three, determined. So salvation is a deliverance from darkness to light. Salvation okay, is to believe in sound doctrine, that Jesus is God, that he is, he is Lord, that he is Savior. And then here, determination, just, just pure determination. Don't you love determined people? Man, I love determined people. People who are relentless, relentless, tenacious, persistent. You coach hockey. Don't you love players like that? Yeah. yeah. Don't you love people in the dojo who are like that? Right? I love the people in the church who are like that. Just tenacious, relentless people. That's Bartimaeus. Mark chapter 10, 47 through 50. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth began to cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's it. He's really crying out. Then many warned him to be quiet. <laughs> but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, and he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. I mean, this is just a picture. This guy, he wants to get to Jesus. He's blind, but he's tenacious, right? He, he's blind, but he's relentless. He's blind, and he ain't letting anything get in the way. He's going to endure. He's going to persevere. He's going to persist until he gets to Jesus. Like the woman, right, that Jesus talked about that wanted that judgment from the unjust judge and she kept knocking and knocking and knocking and persisting him, chasing all around until she finally got his attention and he gave her the decision. Or the neighbor that, that goes to his neighbor because he's had some friends and family come to the house and he needs bread and he just keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. Go away, my family, we're all in bed together. He keeps knocking and knocking and knocking until he gives them the bread. In Matthew eleven twelve, 12, here's an interesting verse. 
It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, you look at that. That's like, what does, what does that mean? Does that mean like there are, there are violent people attacking the kingdom? And, and I believe, as I've, you know, I've looked at different teachers for the last 2,000 years of what they, they believe this is, and I, I take the view that it's talking about us, <laughs> That, that when, when we see the kingdom, salvation, in Jesus, we will go after it and it almost appears somewhat violent. I mean, it's passionate. It's intense. Right? There's this, this, you you, 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 you want to take hold of Jesus and his salvation. And I believe what, what this is, essentially Jesus is giving us a hyperbole here. I know that's the way it was for me. When, when I came to understand the gospel, that Jesus died for me on the cross and was raised from the dead, and that he is the Lord, that he is God, man, let me tell you something. You couldn't keep me away from Jesus. And my, my family members, my own wife, my own wife who's teaching Sunday school today, I mean, she thought I was crazy. My mother and father thought I was nuts. My, my, my siblings thought I was nuts. My friends ran away from me. My partner in business, we're in the fitness business together. He thought I was out of my mind. And he just, I, I was just, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. It didn't matter. I wanted Jesus, and I wanted him in my life. And when I came to understand what he did for me, nothing, nothing, nothing in this entire universe could stop me from pursuing him. And just there was, there was this energy, there was this force of going after him. Jeremiah 29, 13, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. <laughs> right? the, the man who finds the pearl of great price, what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has to get it. And that's, that's not saying that we buy salvation. We don't. But when you find something, when you find something precious, you go after it. Right? The man who finds the treasure. You, you go after it with everything you have. Number four, desire. So you have from darkness to light, sound doctrine, determination, and desire. So it says in verse 51, So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Hey, tune into that. Jesus will ask you that question frequently. What do you want him to do for you. I don't know what you need. We're all in different places with different needs, with different wants. What do you want me to do for you? And just look at the simplicity of, of Bartimaeus's request. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that's, that's rabbi, teacher, that I may receive my sight. Just really kind of simple, right? I just want to see. I'm blind. I'm in darkness. I want to see. I, th I think, by the way, there's, there's a little more to his request than meets the eye. I, did you get that? Because <laughs> I think it's more, it's more than just saying, I want to receive my physical sight. I think he is saying here, I want to receive spiritual sight. I want to be forgiven. I, I want to receive salvation. So, I just want to, let me just do a quick comparison. Remember John and James coming to Jesus, 
And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Remember what they wanted? What did they want? They want to be number one <laughs> and number two. Right here, here, Mark chapter 10, 36 and 37. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Same question. And they said to him, grant us that we may sit on your right hand and the, uh, and the, uh, the other on your left hand in glory. We want to be your number one and number two. I mean, they're just, they're just ambitious, ego-driven. They're prideful. Right? They needed to learn, and they did. He just says, I want to see. That's it. I want to see. I don't know where you're at today. Do you want to see Jesus? You want to experience him. You want to experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Just to be with him. Think about it. Tells a lot about where you're at. I think that a, a true salvation, that is the longing the person has to know Jesus. It's not about religion. Not about, not about all the trimmings. It's, it's uh, I want to know him. I want to know his love, his grace, his peace, his joy. I want to experience his presence. That's, that's the message, folks, of this book, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. I want to know God. And Jesus even said in, in John chapter 17, verse 2, that true salvation, that verse is, it's verse 3, true salvation, true eternal life, is to know God and know Jesus. Just going to narrow it down. That's it. That's it. Number five, deliverance. So Mark chapter 10, verse 52, then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And this is where the English language really breaks down because if you're studying the Greek or the Hebrew, the word well is sozo, and sozo means saved. So see, he, he got healed of his blindness, and Jesus now says, your faith has made you sozo, your faith has saved you. In other words, you have received my forgiveness, you have received my grace, your sins now have been removed from you, you're saved. And he is now transferred again from darkness to light. What happens? What happens when a person comes to true, authentic faith in Jesus? What does God do? And I'm going to give you something here. This, this is Christianity 101. This is like when, when Pastor Sam does basic discipleship class. This is, like, this is like very basic stuff that we teach. Yet most people in the churches, they don't, they don't know this. So when you truly, true faith in Jesus, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about fake faith. I'm not talking about superficial faith. I'm talking about true, authentic faith in Jesus. God justifies you. Justification. And what is justification? Romans 3, the great justification passage. Galatians 3. Christ's righteousness is credit to us, and then our guilt is credited to Jesus. He took our guilt upon him on the cross. We are justified. It's, it is a judicial term of a judge putting down the, the hammer and saying, innocent! We have been declared innocent on account of what he did. The second thing that happens is called regeneration. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3, 4, and 5. Regeneration, new birth, 
to be born from above, to be born of the Spirit. Just, you know, the person, the person who has not experienced the salvation of God, they are spiritually dead. I was spiritually dead. Again, I didn't, I didn't care about God. I didn't think about God. I didn't care about His will. I didn't care about His word. I didn't care about His way. And when I gave my life to Jesus, my dead, my dead spirit, my spirit that is dead suddenly came alive. And now, man, I'm, I'm in the word. I'm in the scriptures. I'm praying. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm sharing the gospel with every, every person that's coming. In fact, Jerry Palmieri, who had witnessed to me for a number of years, I've, I've shared with you about Jerry. Jerry, great guy, five-time Golden Glove champ. He was ranked second in the world at one time. And uh, football coach with the Giants. For uh, I won, won a couple Super Bowls with them. But Jerry would witness to me, and it was just like, I mean, it was like, bing, 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 right going off my head. I was just not hearing anything he's saying. I mean, it's just like nothing is getting in. He witnessed to me for six years. I respected him, right? He could really fight, so I didn't want to send, insult him and get hit with a right hand and get dropped, right? So he's just, he, he's sharing with me, but I'm not getting it. And then he wasn't there when I accepted the Lord. I accepted the Lord on an apartment around the corner here. And I got down on my knees on a January 15th night, and I prayed for Jesus to come into my heart. I read a book called Power for Living. Tom Landry, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, a great little book. I gave my life to the Lord. All I can tell you is, folks, I was an atheist on Friday, and Monday night I was a Christian. And I just, I, I, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in Jesus. On, on Friday, all I can tell you is on Monday, it's, there was a process that God was bringing me to over that weekend as I was reading the book. But I gave my life. And all of a sudden, I'm interested. in. Re- I'm reading the word every day, praying every day. Right? I, I'm, I'm sharing. I'm sharing the gospel with everybody. I go to the fitness center, man. I get every person you know, walking into that place. I'm sharing the gospel with them. And uh, it was wild. It has been a wild ride. That's regeneration. You're going from death to life. Look, you don't need to be me. I'm kind of passionate about stuff. And that's something I think the way God made me. You don't need to be me. Right? Everybody's my wife, my wife sometimes was wondering, why am I not like you? God made Sue to be who she is, and she needs to be who she is in Jesus. I need to be who I am in Jesus. All I could tell you is, though, there, there is a transformation. There, there, is, there, was, there was a real deliverance that happened. And uh, regeneration. Second, uh, third thing is adoption. And uh, Romans 8.15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. We are now adopted as God's children. We have, we have a, a father-child relationship with him. We have access to him as his children. And then the, the, the fourth one is, is sanctification. Hebrews 10.10 10, by this will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once we're all. Sanctification is God has set us aside. He has set us apart. He has a plan for you. He has things that, that he wants you to accomplish for him while you're in this body, in this life. He has a purpose. You know, one, of the, one of the saddest things in life is so many people walking around purposeless. And there is a purpose. And this, and this purpose is the highest purpose. You have a purpose to be a father. You have a purpose to be a mother. You have a purpose to be a grandma, right, Nellie? You have a, you have a purpose to be, you know, whatever you do in your careers. 
But then there is a purpose above that purpose, and that purpose is something that God has set you apart to accomplish. And he equips you and he gifts you to be able to do that. That's sanctification, to be set apart to do a great work for the Lord. Last, direction. So true true salvation, again, it it is a change of direction. Think about it. We're moving towards darkness, and suddenly when true salvation happens, we turn and we begin to move towards the light. In fact, when you're truly saved, the darkness is going to bother you, right? It's, it, you're not going to be comfortable in the darkness. You're going to be drawn to the light. You were moving towards, essentially, towards Satan, and now you turn and now you're moving towards Jesus, right? Moving towards evil, sin, and now you turn and you're moving towards righteousness. And that, that, that is a major change in direction. Ultimately, folks, you are moving towards hell. Now you're moving towards heaven. So notice, notice Bartimaeus again, this, this change in direction, Mark chapter 10, 52. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Again, I believe he followed him to Jerusalem. He followed him to the cross. Followed him to the empty tomb. Followed him to the upper room on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the 120. Jesus calls us to follow him. (laughs) When people ask me, well, what's your religion? I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I don't even say I'm a Christian anymore because it's become so watered down and nominal. Everybody, everybody claims they're How many people are even living remotely like the Christians you see in the Bible? In Luke chapter 9, 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's, um, that's huge. <laughs> that's that's, that's the, the greatest call that anybody has ever made to a human being, right? It's mega, mucho, and grande. <laughs> it's just, a, a, I mean, it's a, it's a total change of direction. That's true salvation, to become a follower of Jesus. And it's, it's this, I mean, uh, it's a, the highest call to commitment, right? Joe, a leader can, can you, you can call people in your business to commitment. It can't come close to what Jesus called us to. You call people, your, your players on a, on a hockey team, you can call them to a high level of commitment. It's not close to what Jesus has called us to. I mean, in, in the dojo, I could, I could call students, right, to, to you know, this, this high calling of being devoted, show up, right, show up every Tuesday, show up every Thursday. You got to come with a It doesn't come close. Jesus has called us to a level of commitment to carry our crosses daily and follow him. But that's not the message that you're hearing in churches today. That's not the message. Pastor Sam went to a Christian concert on Wednesday night, and I was with him yesterday. We went to the Yankee game together with our our wives, and... um, he is a big Yankee fan. Let me tell you something. I thought I liked the Yankees. He is a, he is a grande Yankee fan. <laughs> and, but he said to me, when he went to this concert, he goes, they never preached the gospel. He goes, it was just like this easy beliefism stuff. And it wasn't, there was nothing about becoming a follower of Jesus, about carrying your cross. 
and the church that he was in in New York, he said, this is, this is the message. I, I came across this. I thought it was funny. The light church. 24% fewer commitments, home of the 5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship service. We have only six commandments. It's your choice. That's, that, that's really what you hear. It's, it's all about getting a crowd. How many people, right? I, I, listen, years ago, I got caught up in this. It was all about, like, church growth. You know what? That, one, one, one church growth coach was saying, you're giving units. That's what you are. You're a giving unit. Not a person. Not a child of God. Not a disciple. Not a human being with highs and lows, joys and sorrows. You're just a giving unit. And that's how we have to treat you. That's when I said, I, I've had enough of this. God put in my heart, you know what? Use the book of Acts. That's your church, church growth book. God put this on my heart. This is about 15 years ago. Because it was suddenly I was, I was building my ego by building churches. Instead of building the kingdom of God and the saints of God, the people of God. I'm going to read to you just a, a, a couple of quotes here. George Gallup, the Gallup polls, he contends that fewer than 10% of evangelical Christians, that's us, could be called deeply committed. The majority who profess Christianity do not know basic Christian teachings and do not act differently than people in the world. Haven't you found that to be true? A Lutheran pastor, listen, let me put it this way. 90% of our parishes across the country require less commitment than the local Kiwanis Club. <laughs> it's, it's true. You know, just, just there's not a call to, to, to that, again, the message of Jesus. Because we're afraid it's going to offend people, and then they're going to leave. And we don't want to see people leave, right? We, we're going to be offended, and instead of just simply proclaiming the truth, the truth. Wow. Just, uh, I'm almost done here. Want to see excuses? I could write a book of excuses. I think I could have more words and excuses that people have given to me through the years than the Bible. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, I, let me first go and bury my father. By the way, his father wasn't dead. I, I, I want to... And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. They're all excuses. They're, 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 they're three characters there, and they're all giving excuses. And, and a couple of them justify their excuses. And again, this is... Jesus' call, right? His call, follow me. That's true salvation. To be a, a follower of Jesus. We travel in a new direction following him. And folks, we travel together with Christians all over the world, true believers all over the world of all different denominations and all different, right? They worship differently in different types of gymnastics, right? They 
raise their hands, they clap their hands, they kneel, they sit, but we walk together, true believers, following, right, Jesus. So my wrap-up, take these six things and put your faith to the test this morning. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And if you're sitting here today and you fail to meet the test, then today is the day of your salvation to give your life to him, right? Ask yourself the questions, have you been transformed from darkness to light? Have you had that experience? I don't care if it was when you were a kid, or it's when you're 70 years old. My father, the experience came to him at 68 years old. My dad was a non-believer. My dad was an atheist. My dad gave his life to Jesus at 68. And you know, he didn't do it under my preaching. He would come and sit in church. And he, would nev- he never would come forward to accept Jesus. Never would pray the prayer to come and you know, take Jesus into his heart and make that decision, that choice. But Richard D'Angelo, my associate pastor, was preaching. I was on a retreat. And my father came forward and gave his life to Christ. He went from from darkness to light. You know, the old Italian guy, all the curses. I could tell you Italian curses that my father taught me. Suddenly they stopped saying them. He could come here in the church, serve in the church, love working on the vacation Bible school programs. Got really bad dementia in his late 80s. My father died at 94. He's with the Lord. When he died, he looked up. In the room, we're sitting there around him. He says, look, look, I see white clouds. He says, I see white, I see white clouds up there. I don't know what he was saying, if they were angels or just uh, the clouds of glory, and then he went home to be with the Lord. Do you believe Jesus is God and Savior, the God and Savior of your life? Are you seeking him? Just Is this just something he does in us? He... he He puts this desire for him in us. Do you desire to know him? Have you experienced salvation? Justification. You know you're forgiven. You know something happened inside of you because he's regenerated you. And suddenly the things, right, that you used to be pursuing, now you're no longer pursuing them. You know he's your father. And you call him Abba. (laughs) Daddy, that's Hebrew for daddy. You've experienced salvation, and are you following him? Today could be the day of your salvation. Think about this. Bow your heads, we'll pray. I'll ask the musicians. Oh, you know what? We're going to ask the musicians to come over. Let me pray with you. We're going to share the Lord's Supper, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray today. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this example of blind Bartimaeus. For, Lord God, we all were blind at one time or another. But, Lord, you are the light giver. And I do pray today, Lord God, that, Lord, if there's anybody here, and today is the day of their salvation, that they, Lord, would step forward, take you into their heart, put their faith in you as their God, as their Savior, as their Lord, as their Messiah. 
and they would, Lord God, make that commitment to begin to follow you. Amen. Folks, take of the cup and the bread. You can stand, you can sit, whatever you'd like. Lord Jesus, when he took the bread and he broke it, he said to his disciples, take this, all of you, and eat this, for this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of what he did for on the cross, right? He took our sins upon himself. He gave his life for us. We believe that he is our God who came to this earth 2,000 years ago and died in our place so that we would never have to experience an eternal death. Do it in remembrance of me. Let us all partake. Then the Lord Jesus took the cup, he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, take this, all of you, and drink this, for this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It says in the scriptures, in Leviticus chapter 17, 11, that the life is in the blood. So when Jesus bled and died, he gave his life for us. Receive and be renewed in the life of the Lord this morning. Let us all partake. Amen. Folks, we open the altars if you would like to come forward. Bring anything that is on your heart to the Lord. You want to give your life and just bow before the Lord today and make a commitment to follow him, you can do that. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word, precious truths. As Pastor said, the altars are open for you. If you'd like to come up and pray on your own or with somebody, make your way up. Just pray from your seat as we sing of communing with our Lord between the wings of the cherubim. On the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Between the wings of 
you, Lord. clap we clap to the Lord right we don't give applause to one another not in the church may God the Father Son and Spirit go with you all may bless your day it's a beautiful day it's the day the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it and may the God of peace the God of joy the God of love our Lord Jesus Christ just go with you all and bless you in his precious name amen God bless you all